Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for uh, this, this study we have tonight. We thank you for the book of Hosea and the unique challenge it has been and for what you've had to teach us through at times a very difficult book of the Bible. And we have you know a shorter shorter text tonight, Lord, but we did we thank you for this opportunity not only to study your word, uh, but to be challenged and encouraged as we do so. And we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well welcome, welcome to the Zoom. Welcome to those of you out there in podcast land listening. And we are in Hosea chapter 13. And so we are in verse four to verse 16. So tonight is a unique text. Well, I guess they're all unique, but tonight's text is a history lesson. So Hosea and God speaking through Hosea is going to be communicating to Israel. Remember, Israel is up in the north, and so this is the northern kingdom. And God is, is going to remind them a couple history lessons and then give them a great perspective at the end. So uh, just as a reminder, the top of our page here, uh, you can see where this falls in the book, where we have um, the beginning of the book of Hosea, God's people are unfaithful, kind of reads like a um, a grand jury indictment from your Law and Order TV show. Dun, dun, dun. God's people are unfaithful. God's people do not know him. God's people are not devoted to him. And this final session, God's section, God's people are deceitful. They're actually de- trying to deceive each other, and they're thinking they can deceive God. And of course, they can't. So history lesson, part one, 13, four to eight, here we go. But I am the Lord, your God from the land of Egypt. You know, no God, but me. And besides me, there is no savior. Dang. Tell us how you feel, God. Wow. So I am Yahweh, your God from the land of Egypt. Wow. Now, God's not from the land of Egypt, but he's he's been their covenant God Ever since he rescued them from the hands of Egypt, he, 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 he proclaimed himself mightier and superior to all the other gods and goddesses of Egypt. So I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk besides the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. Oh, my goodness. We have the God who cares, and let's just complete the rhyme. The God who tears. It is God's rhyme. Look at how God cared for them. He brought them out of Egypt. He himself was and is their savior. He was with them in the wilderness as they struggled, as they wandered. And yet, eventually, they became happy. Eventually, they ate their full, and they kind of said, well, who's God? And maybe they thought that they could just go their own merry way. Because the text says, therefore, 
they forgot me. How could you ever forget God? How? I don't understand. With all God had done for Israel, how they could get so complacent. So you got to wrestle with that as we study this. I kind of have every section here a necessary read. I'm going to read something from history. And I'm going to say, how do we learn from this? I can guess what you might learn from this, but how do you learn from it? How does it affect you? Because you can't just look at these verses and go, well, isn't that nice? Boy, shame on you, Israel. No, you got to take it in. Because when times are really good, when things are working out really well for you, the temptation is, I don't need God because my life is working out. We don't just make the connection that says, okay, well, God's providing for me. And God, you're, you're a good God, a faithful God, a providing God. Look what you do. You care for me, God. The temptation is to say these magic words, I got this. Horrible words. They always get me in trouble every time I say them. The God who cares. Nobody cares like our God cares. But at some point, as they reject him, God's saying, I'm not going to have any more. Yeah, Mick texted in. It's a sad statement about human nature. So easily, so readily forget God makes a good case for the needing, the need of suffering in the human experience. As C.S. Lewis said, as God's megaphone to a deaf, it's God's megaphone to a deaf and forgetful world. Thank you, Mick. Mick is our co-teacher, and he's our commentary on the side here. Yeah, God cares and God tears. Here, here's something necessary to read. Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 20. Check this out. This is God calling it. Generations, generations well before Hosea. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These are the five books of the Bible before they even get to the promised land. They get to the promised land in Judges and Joshua and Judges that time. So this is all the, the preamble stuff before they get there. But check this. When you have eaten and are satisfied, this is, this is Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 20. And this is God calling a shot. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so it confirms his covenant, which he swore to, you, to your ancestors as it is today. And then here we go. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, uh-oh, this is getting a little too close to Hosea, isn't it? It's as if, God is bringing to mind literally Deuteronomy 8. If you ever do these things, I testify against you today. You will surely be destroyed. So if you're looking at this text and going, how could the God who cares be the God who like a lion tears? 
Well, God called this how many hundreds of years before Hosea? You ever get to this point? And if you're going to describe the northern 10 tribes of Israel, you got to basically describe them like this. They got fat and happy. Deuteronomy 8, this is literally them. God is calling it out generations before them. I testify against you today. You'll surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Yeah, and Randy, it's a good point there. The Proverbs 30 about being too well off. What does it give me? Don't, don't, don't give me too much, God. You know, unless, lest I say, well, who's God? But don't give me too little, God, lest I have to starve and start begging and stealing from people. But yeah, that's the exact same point. Great point, Randy. That, that's, that, that verse is, 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 is a great one. It's like to be satisfied in God. Um, you know, the church of Laodicea, yeah, they get no praise there, the, 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 the lukewarm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, God has his limits. Thank you, Daniel. It's like we read Hosea and we love the Gomer story because we're Gomer. We read, we read her story and we go, you know what? That's me. I'm the one who cheats on God. I'm the one who follows my own way. I'm the one who retreats back to my own idols and my own sinfulness. I'm the one who sinfully struggles with my own selfishness. Gomer's story is my story. And so we like when God tells Hosea to buy her back and to redeem her. We like that story because grace never, ever makes sense. And that really tugs at our heart and it really blesses us. But then there comes a point where God's like, I'm done. We're going to wrestle with that tonight, because how could God say these words? How could God go from the God who cares to the God who tears? Unless at some point God's had enough. So history lesson, what do we learn from this? I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know what you learn from this. If you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, you probably ought to stop doing them. If you're treating God with such complacency, knock it off. What's your attitude like when it comes to the way God provides for you? I mean, you, you have to, because if you put yourself in, in ancient Israel's position, they were well provided for, but then all of a sudden things get rough. And what do they do when things get rough? They go to other countries and they go to other nations. They make these alliances and they do this and they do that. They really don't proclaim a trust in God anymore. They played their they kind of hedged their bets where they worshiped Yahweh, their God, and they also worship Baal because maybe they'll get better crops that year if they worship the crops God. So it's like that temptation to play the field, that temptation to play the smorgasbord buffet approach to God is a very real temptation. It infects our prayer life. Do I really trust you, God? That's the question you got to ask. Are you more like ancient Israel than you care to admit? These are attitude questions that you probably. Yeah, good, good text. Uh, yeah, the, thank you, Randy. I recall a prayer by Bart Simpson that went like, we earned the money for this food. So thanks for nothing, God. There you go. Uh, Mick texted, Israel cannot say that God was not patient towards her. Correct. God was. And so. Let's go to history lesson number two. This is 9 to 11. He destroys you, O Israel. Well, he starts off right away, doesn't he? He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. 
You know the God who cares? You want to go against the God who cares? Then you're going to be shocked when God turns into a lioness. Is enough already? They are against their helper. It's like they're actively choosing against God. It's like, let my people go, Pharaoh. And halfway out of Egypt, Israel goes, you know what? We're actually good. The whole whips and the bricks without straw. You know what, God? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, you're powerful and all, but I think we're just going to go back. And they were doing that in the wilderness. They were longing for the, 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 the leeks and the melons of Egypt, and they wanted their pots of meat, and they were wanting to go back. Oh, we got to go back. We had everything back then. Hogwash, you had whips across your back. You had no freedom. You were Egypt's playthings, building their buildings. You're going to be against your helper? I mean, seriously? How far gone has Israel fallen? He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Ooh, this had to hurt, by the way. We'll get there in just a second. Where are all your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and princes. Well, where are they? What are they doing about this? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. What? Uh, God, I didn't know that information. So who was your king? Where is your king? Well, who? what, what do you mean by that? Who was your king? Well, no, there's a necessary read. 1 Samuel 8, 4 to 22. Do you mind? Here we go. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. How about that? Walk up to the most respected guy in the land and go, you're old. It's like, gee, thanks. It sounds like my nine-year-old walking up to somebody has no, who has you know male pattern baldness and say, hey, why don't you have hair on your head? He did that, I think, when he was like five or four or something like that. Why does this guy have no hair on his head? It's like, stop that. Don't make fun of the guy. You, know? it's like, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. I want what they have. I want what they have. So who was your king? See, God's taken it to him here. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Why would it displease Samuel? Because before the kings, there were the judges. We looked at the book of Judges, and they were all rascals. There were a couple of good ones, but they were all just these wastrels and rapscallions. They were just these horrible characters that had zero morality. And like I said, there was a couple of good ones, but the one... In the book of Judges, if you have more chapters written about you, you are the worst one. So Sam, Samson had like multiple chapters. He was the, the biggest bum of them all in terms of being what he was supposed to be, a godly example to follow the people. Well, who was the last judge? Samuel. Samuel was the last judge right before the time of the kings. So they were approaching Samuel saying, we want another leader. So he's, 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 he's taking umbrage here. He's displeased. He prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen, listen to all that the people are telling you. It's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. Mic drop. Who's their king? Question I put here. Who was your king? Yahweh. The Lord God. He was already their king. They didn't need a God, like, uh, they didn't need a, a king, like all the other nations around them. They had the king of kings. 
the Alpha and Omega himself as their king. They were holy, set apart as he is holy and set apart. But even then, they looked around them and said, but we want somebody who can sit on the throne. We want somebody. Give us one. Give us one. It's not you they've rejected, Samuel. Buck up there, pal. It's me they've rejected. In fact, God continues. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt. Dang, God. It's like they just continue to reject God. Nonstop rejection of God. Wow. Until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So Samuel told all the, the words of the people of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, others to plow his ground and reap his harvest still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and just give it away to his officials. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle, the donkeys he will take for his own use. He'll take a tenth of your flocks and you, you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Woo! But the people refuse to listen to Samuel. No, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered. I don't know why God answered this way, but he did. Listen to them and give them a king. Wow. Who was your king? God was already your king. So now God twists the screw, doesn't he? So where is your king? You know, these kings that you were begging for, where are they now? Yeah, they're nowhere to be found, aren't they? You're right. In fact, your kings, historically speaking, were going to be puppets. They were going to be puppet kings of whatever country was going to conquer them next. Judah would face this with, 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 with Egypt. Israel would face this with Assyria and then finally with Babylon. So who was your king? Now, where is your king? Who exactly do you think you're rejecting, Israel? God's already called it out. You're going to call for him, and he's just going to not answer you. Yeah, you're exactly right, Daniel. God was their king, but he wasn't good enough for them. Mictex, listen to them. It's kind of like God handed them over from Romans chapter 1, and while God is sovereign... We're still accountable for our choices. Yeah, nothing Israel is doing is here is surprising God. We know that because God called it. How many books of the Bible prior to Hosea? He called exactly what they were going to do. Excuse me, and here they are. Two history lessons. Each one hurts. We are not surprised when God is having enough 
And God is saying, no more. Done. Sin, justice, perspective, 12 to 16. The iniquity of Ephraim, and Ephraim is the kind of poetic way to, because prophecy is also kind of like poetry. Ephraim is a poetic way to talk about the north. The iniquity of, of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. Oh, let's not go quickly over that verse. That verse, can I, can I be blunt? That verse is freaking horrifying. Our sin, their sin is kept up in store. Ooh, it's like God's not forgetting any little thing they've done to, to wreck him, to, 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 to wreck their relationship, to completely reject him. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up as sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. I don't know what this really means here. This is kind of like embryology or a, 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 kind of a, a delivery room kind of thing. At the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. He's like breach birth or something. Um, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Ooh, we got a little bit of hope here, don't we? Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come rising from the wilderness and his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip the treasury of every precious thing. Samaria, a key city in the north, Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. And this is gruesome. You got to apologize. I'm going to read it, but this is pretty gruesome stuff. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and the pregnant women shall be ripped open. I'm telling you, Assyria is going to come. And Assyria didn't, didn't mess around. The Assyrian army were not known as the biggest army. That would be at the time Egypt or Babylon. Babylon was going to come. But the Assyrians were bad dudes. If you lost to the Assyrians, you faced that. they just rip you open. They'd find the pregnant people and just rip them on open. Horrible stuff. Take the little kids, just throw them to the ground and trample them. Horrible, horrible stuff. Why do you think Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh? Why do you think Jonah was like, I don't want to see those people repent. I know the kind of people they are. I know the kind of army they are. I want nothing to do with those people. What do you mean I got to go there? Yeah, this is Assyria. We don't, the, 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 why would you want them to be saved? You may have people in your life, you're like, I don't want to really give them the gospel. I don't really want to pray for them because they're jerks and they're enemies. And I don't really want to care for them that much. They're people that get under my last skin. Or my last nerve, I just get under my skin. They get on, get on, they get on my last nerve. That's it. I, I, I don't want to even care for those people at all. And yet God's placed them in your life. Would you call them your enemies? Well, yes, I would. Well, love your enemies. Jesus. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus. Oh, thanks, Jesus. Yeah, the last thing anyone wants is for God to see their sin. And blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. I know. I know. They couldn't hide from God, could they? They were going to get justice for their sin. The first point there is God will bring death. 
I don't care if you're in Hosea's day or Peter's day. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve found that out. They died. Whereas we're, we're left to assume they were not going to die in the garden. But once sin entered the relationship and they were separated from God, now death was a reality. Yes, Adam and Eve, <laughs> they got to be crispy critters. You're right. Oh, yeah, Assyria is going to come through and just wipe off the northern ten tribes. Crispy critters, take them away. Yep. This is coming. We're not surprised that that's going to happen next in Israel's history at this time. Next for them is Assyria coming through and taking them out. Crispy critters. God will bring death. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, because Paul quotes this. You might, have, you might have recognized that verse that I read towards the end of chapter 13. Those of you who are you know, New Testament scholars, you might have remembered that verse. Like, oh yeah, that, that's where that came from. Well, what's that verse? It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A long chapter in Corinthians. Here it is. Verses 50 to 58. So I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, he's talking about, are we just going to go to heaven just like this? You know, flesh and blood. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Heaven is imperishable. It, things never perish in heaven. So why would we go with perishable things like, like our own flesh and blood? That gets wrinkly as the years go by. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. All right, he's speaking to the future there. Some people are going to be alive when Jesus comes back. We're not all going to be dead. Okay? But we're all going to be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will all be changed. We will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. You're not taking this flesh and blood to heaven, you see. And the mortal with immortality. We're not having mortality in heaven. It's immortality time. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, if you're an old time hymn person, you might say, when the roll is called up yonder at that point, here we are, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Hosea, chapter 13. The sting of death is sin. It always is, it always will be. The wages of sin is death. And the power of sin is the law. The law convicts us. All that the law can do is reveal that you are a lawbreaker. That's all it can do. If that's all you have is the law, you're screwed. You have no hope. The law by itself just reveals that you're now a lawbreaker because you've broken one of them. And now you're doomed because now that has now damned you and doomed you. You're done. Okay. But thanks be to God, Paul continues. Thanks be to God. He gives us victory through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, 
in Hebrews 13, God will bring death. The Northern 10 tribes were going to be toast. Toast! Done! Crispy critters. But death will not defeat God's plans. We learned that on a Good Friday, didn't we? God brought death. And there were some who thought, well, that's the end. Even some of the good ones, some of the women, they came to anoint his body. They're like, well, he's in the grave. We got to do what we're supposed to do at this point. They came with their spices. They came to do the preparation because they, they had the Passover coming. They had to be done with it. They had to get this over with. Or the Sabbath coming, excuse me. And the Sabbath is affected by the Passover. So they came to anoint his body. He's not here. You see, the God will bring death, but death will not defeat God's plans. So therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, still in 1 Corinthians 15, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Well, what if my labor for the Lord ends up in my death? Death will not defeat God's plans. The very fact that Jesus resurrected from the grave gives us hope that one day we will resurrect. He is that first fruits of our resurrection, that we who belong to Christ, though we die and have this perishable stuff, the mortal flesh that we that's a part of us, one day that will not be our story anymore. You see, the midst of Hosea chapter 13, we have doom and gloom. We have sin and we have punishment for that sin. And this chapter ends on a sour note. Israel is soon going to be no more. All that will be left is Judah and some Levites and some Benjamites kind of tucked into Judah's armpit. That's it. That's it. But there's hope. You see, the wages of sin is death, but there's still hope, eternal life, only, exclusively in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Make text. That's why Jesus had to come in two phases. Number one, to declare the year of the Lord's favor, to allow us to be saved by Jesus' sacrifice. Number two, his second coming so that and second coming so that having been saved, we can be spared from God's day of wrath. Yes, that's what salvation is. Jesus saved you from that wrath that your sins deserve. What are you saved from? God's wrath. That's it. That's salvation. You are saved from wrath. Wrath that is due for your sins, but wrath that was given to the one who never sinned. There is no worse injustice in all of history than that. That's the greatest injustice of all time. He bore the wrath of the sin he never sinned. And that's why we can say thank you, Jesus. You took my place. In the midst of the death that I deserved, you were able to give me hope. God will bring death, Hosea 13. But death will not defeat God's plans.
You see, God still has a plan for Israel and for Judah. Israel is going to be crispy critters. God would preserve a remnant in Judah. God would still preserve a remnant to this day. Death never defeats God's plans. What did we learn from this? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. You know, we need to stand for the things that we stand for, for a reason. Life is hard. It is. Hard choices have to be made. Our culture wants us to choose ourselves, wants us to live for ourselves and our own comforts and our own passions. Our culture expects us to follow our hearts. Our culture expects us to live for ourselves. But we deny ourselves. We live for Jesus. And if they don't understand that, if they reject that, if they push back against that, well, tough. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. There are some of us that everything moves us. The latest, you know, whim or fancy, oh, I'm going to follow that now. I thought you were just in church. I thought you just gave your life to Jesus. I thought you just made a firm commitment. Yeah, I know, but this over here. I want to do this now. This sounds fun. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that you, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm. Yeah. God will bring death, but death will not defeat God's plans. You see, even in the doom and gloom of Hosea, there's hope. Because he pronounces that hope to them, even though I am pretty certain None of them are going to experience that hope. But he puts that hope on the books, doesn't he? How many hundreds of years before Jesus, hundreds of years before 1 Corinthians 15, does he put this verse on the books? Where indeed, O death, is your victory? Death doesn't get a victory because God gets the victory. God decides what the victory is. God will bring that death, but death will not defeat God's plans. That is so huge. Satan thought he won. The cross was like the final nail in his coffin when he thought he had it all wrapped up at that point. Death will not defeat God's plans. So what's worse than death? I mean, you're playing with house money at that point. Continue on in the faith, even if it costs us our lives. We're in God's hands. Here we are. Learn from our history. Learn from Israel's history. Continue to trust this very God who cares for us. Do not take him for granted. Acknowledge him as our king. Follow him. Submit to him. And know that even though life can be horribly painful and hard, my story illustrates that. Some of your stories also illustrate that. Life sometimes really, really sucks. But God is always faithful. And sometimes God does bring that death, metaphorically and literally. But the great hope of heaven the great hope of every Christian funeral is that death will not defeat God's plans. And we have that hope. And as Hebrews tells us, that hope is an anchor for our soul. 
This has been Big Rev from Hosea chapter 13. God bless you. Thank you for letting me share. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.